as I live and breathe, like it had never been away, Paul Gunning, like it had never been away. It was, yeah, it was like it had never been away. <laughs> it's just great to have it back, wasn't it? Welcome to this week's episode of Red Voices, everyone. Uh, I'm Ewan Leonard, I'm here with Paul Gunning, and we're here to discuss Manchester United's draw with Spurs at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Friday night. Uh, lovely to have you back with us. Nice to have some actual football to talk about, Paul. Uh, in another very United game, <laughs> I mean, three months off, so many weeks of training, so much you know anticipation building and everything, and we end up with the perfect encapsulation in some ways of this league season, I guess, really, haven't we? Yeah, it was weird because no one knew what to expect. You know, going into lockdown, United were flying, Spurs were terrible. And then lockdown happened and everything changes and no one knows what to expect. And, and actually, we all did sort of know what to expect, really. You know, heart of hearts, you know, Mourinho being Mourinho and United struggling to break down a, a, a team who were just sitting back. But, so yeah, overall, really frustrating. Great to have the football back. But, but yeah, for, you know, I think we... We should have won the game. We, you know, we've got the better team, better players, um, and we kind of just played into their hands a little bit. But yeah, one all, one all draw away at Spurs. You know, it's not a bad result, is it? But um... no, it's not the very worst, is it? You know, and I think you know we were speaking about this last week when we were trying to preview the restart of the season. It's very difficult to know what to expect until things settle down a little bit more and. You know, despite the fact that we were playing a team on paper who were on a terrible run of fixtures, everyone was starting essentially from day zero. Yeah, you know, loads of players mentioned. back from injuries, yeah. didn't they? So exactly, you know, Harry Kane and uh, Son were both back for Spurs. United had Pogba and Rashford back available. You know, we we had options and they had options back as well. And I know that Mourinho, in his typical way, was trying to bemoan the fact that. The, the five substitutions and the extra drink breaks help his team because they don't have as much money. Bearing in mind they spent, what, several hundred million on a recent stadium. Yeah. Right, mate. Um, I thought that was a little bit rich, but there we go. Um, uh, uh, he's, not, yeah. he's not one to spend money himself, is he, over the years? No, of course not. I mean, bearing in mind this team spent about, what, 100 million last year as well. So, you know, obviously before he was there, but still, they're not exactly... Their pockets are not slight, shall we say. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, no, I mean, I guess the first game back, it was always going to be a bit of a challenge, regardless of who we were playing, to try and get back into some sort of groove. Because as good as we were playing prior to lockdown, obviously because of the fact that we've had three months off, you know, trying to get back to the sort of fluidity and the the groove and the vibe we were in in March was always going to be tricky. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone who was going into the lockdown with momentum was bound to lose it, really. Um, Yeah. And also, you know, the really strange um, circumstances of playing in front of an empty stadium and and all that kind of thing. So Yeah. Did you watch with the crowd noise, by the way? I did, yeah. Um, I watched on on a perfectly legal stream. (laughs) <laughs> which did so I didn't have a choice and I, I don't like it I'm I, I kind of interested to, to hear what's going on you know because if you're going to play it in empty stadiums you might as well it might as well be like an empty stadium yeah this is a proper first world problem but uh, yeah. a Sky main event channel has the actual crowd noise on it and I think it's the Premier League channel that doesn't yeah but it's poor resolution on my TV so uh, I I chose the main event one just because the screen just looks the image just looks a little bit crisper but yeah I mean I don't hate it, you know, I think no. it was a bit weird to hear chants of we'll never die coming out before the hour mark, put it that yeah. way. You know, obviously they're pumping in chants from both sets of fans as as they would be during the game, but it was a bit disconcerting. Didn't hate it, didn't love it. Yeah, a bit weird and, 
you could tell it was fake as well because United away, United's away fans are so loud. Um, of course, yes. Quite often, you know, quite sweary. So it was uh, <laughs> clearly pumped in, and, and uh, yeah, not not completely realistic. Yeah, I mean, it reminded me a little bit of playing uh, FIFA 2006 or seven, I think it was. Yeah. For the crowd noise for the United fans, they'd clearly recorded a bunch of men in London singing yeah. "United, United, yeah. United." <laughs> it was <laughs> it was like going back to that. Anyway, uh, kicking off with our discussion of that game, I guess then, Paul. I mean, we were kind of expecting something a little different from Solskjaer in terms of the lineup. So, how did it strike you when he came out with that four-two-one-three? It wasn't what I was expecting at all. No, me neither. And I, I sort of. I mean, I sometimes wonder whether I'm a, I'm a sort of subconscious Oligan Solskjaer apologist, really, because, um, you know, I do love the guy. and I, really I can stop you. You definitely are. <laughs> I do love him. I really want him to do well. So as soon as I saw that lineup, I thought, oh, yeah, no, I can understand why he's done that. You know, it's a tough away game. He wants to protect the defence, you know, a bit rusty. But actually, when you look at our strengths, you know, our squad strengths, we're very clearly um, overloaded going forward. So, you know, our best players are all attacking players, really. So why? And, and also Mourinho, we know what Mourinho is like. We know what he's going to do. He's going to sit back. He's going to try and catch us on the counter-attack. Um, even if, the, if, you know, I mean, it looked like we were the the, uh, the home team in that first half. It was unbelievable. So, yeah, I thought it was a, a, a bit of a weird lineup, but I could kind of understand why he did it. But then what I couldn't yeah. understand is why he didn't change it sooner because it clearly wasn't working. Solskjaer's biggest successes this season in particular have come from his ability to get United going for the big victories and the yeah. big performances. And that has typically involved us having that sort of counter-attacking approach, you know, sitting relatively deep and springing quickly, not necessarily having a stranglehold on the game, but showing up in the big moments and making us, making those count. And... I understand why he wanted to try and put a best foot forward because he wanted to try and continue that momentum and perhaps not lean on that mentality that, you know, we're a team punching above our weight. Because eventually, if he's going to set United forward and get us winning big trophies, you know, regardless of whether that happens or not, he has got to change that sort of sit back and defend and then counter-attacking momentum. You know, he does want us to be more. We can't be underdogs, can we, forever? Exactly. That's a perfect way of describing it. The problem is, is that you're coming up against Mourinho. Mourinho's had several months to plan this game and you knew full well that he had plan ready for us as soon as he knew that he was going to be playing us when lockdown ended or at least the Premier League lockdown ended and I think just the way that we initially for the first half of that game maybe even the first hour we just played into Mourinho's hands in the sense that Fred and McTominay just were not able to get any control over midfield any time we lost the ball the back four looked exposed Lamella was having a great time just behind the front three and really just was able to thread the ball through too easily. You know, it was it was obvious in the first couple of minutes that the, the space was there if they could exploit it. You know, there was one moment where Lamella could have played in some but just delayed the pass a little bit and a couple of the instances here and there when every time Spurs got forward and broke quickly, we looked all at sea, you know, and it, it's, it was an approach that really highlighted United's efficiencies in the sense that we don't necessarily have the now slash expertise in midfield to move the ball forward quick enough to the likes of Bruno or Martial or Rashford to really make it count. And not only that, we are desperately lacking pace in the centre of defence. We really are, aren't we? Um, yeah, and I mean, it, the, 
the midfield thing about I suppose with with the arrival of Bruno with him doing so well before the lockdown you know that that was the hope wasn't it that that would be the because you know he he was starting to win lots of fences but the, again last night he, he you know he, he found himself having to drop deep because there wasn't that link from the, the midfield to him but then you've got the problem of then there being no one further forward yeah and there was a couple there was one pass I can't remember what it was and that was about 16 minutes in I think or something and where he had to, he dropped really deep to almost the, the halfway line and an absolutely phenomenal pass through the middle but that you know and that's what he's capable of but when he's but then he's not up forward he's not further forward then because he's played the pass from deep and so you mm. you know it's like we're almost we, we, we're still a player short. Plus, I don't think Rashford's you know was one hundred percent fit, and that's understandable. He's been out for for months. Uh, he didn't look particularly sharp. He didn't play badly, but he, he just looked a bit rusty. Martial didn't do a lot, and then Daniel James. I mean, we we'll probably have to talk about him for a minute. You know, he was poor. So there there weren't those kind of outlets for a creative player like Bruno anyway, really, um, further forward. A lot of people last night were very frustrated about what the drink breaks actually meant for United's momentum. I understand that, but that's something that every team's got to cope with. You know, obviously it favours the team that is in the ascendancy in terms of possession, but, you know, everyone's going to have to cope with that between now and the end of the season. Yeah, It's it's simply a fact of life of playing the game, and if United can't maintain it, obviously... Momentum can be fleeting, I get that. But if we've got to cope with it, everyone's got to deal with it. And United have got to adjust to it as best they can, or they're going to struggle. And, you know, that first drink break in particular, you know, initially, prior to that goal, I'd say United, apart from one instance here or there, United looked pretty comfortable. You knew the danger was there with Spurs. They did settle quickly. They did seem to have a better idea of what plan they were sticking to. But United showed a couple of flashes. You know, there was a shot by Bruno. There was a cross from, I think, Fernandez over to Rashford uh, that got deflected. And it was a first-time shot they kind of snatched at. But there were there were moments. You know, United looked like they were they could create interesting openings, even if they weren't banging down the door. But it was as soon as we conceded that space. You know, it was a long punt up by Lloris. Uh, I think it was headed back by Shaw and Fred couldn't get hold of it. The speed at which Spurs struck, and it was just Bergman basically running at, the, at Harry Maguire, and then turning him inside out and leaving him for dead. You could just see that coming if United didn't cope with the flooding of the midfield. You know, it just wasn't happening at all. And you know, I guess we're you know we're avoiding talking about the, the perhaps the chief culprit of that whole scenario. This is not the first time, unfortunately, that Dave has had a problem and conceded a bad goal. And this is arguably the worst time for it to be happening in his United career because there is a young goalkeeper over at Sheffield United who is angling for his spot. Before I ask you on your thoughts on it, the one thing I would say is that we are coming off three months of lockdown and keepers aren't able to get that intensive training in as perhaps outfield players are, especially when playing in friendlies. You know, De Gea, for that goal, and it was not great, he is not match sharp. And I know this is this is part of an ongoing trend with him, but at the same time, it is the first time back in several months. And, you know, it, it was struck very hard, at least. It was, I'm trying to dig yeah. him out a little bit. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, it, it must be difficult for, for goalkeepers in particular, I think. So you, you are correct on that point. But again, like you say, I mean, it, it's the fact that this is not the first time it's happened. If it was a one-off, then you could say, oh, yeah, well, it's a lockdown. It's, it's obviously just, you know, a bit of a lack of concentration or a bit of sharpness. Um, but it's happened quite a few times now and, and it's costing United points and he, look he was exposed by the defence you're right I mean it wasn't a great header from Shaw in the first place and I think they, they 
unsurprisingly, given Mourinho's relationship with Shaw when he was at United, I think they was kind of targeting that that um, their uh, United's left hand side. Shaw, poor header, and then Maguire just you know I like Maguire a lot, and I think he's really grown as, over the course of the season as a as a player and as a captain and all the rest of it. But you know, he, he, pace wise, it's just abysmal. <laughs> Got caught flat footed again. It's happened too many times really this season. So that that left De Gea exposed. He probably wasn't. You know, you can't have been expecting that shot to be coming. And it was hit with hell. You know, serious venom. But still, mm. I mean, you know, you can throw all these excuses De Gea's way, but a goalkeeper of of his standing and his reputation and his quality, playing for a club like Manchester United. You know, you got to be doing better than that. And, you know, all goalkeepers make mistakes every now and then. But the trouble is, and I've said it before on the pod, the trouble is, the more time, the more you make these mistakes, and, you know, they're quite similar mistakes as well, the less confidence your defence has in, in you, the more, you, you know, the team drops back. And the, and the more opposition teams will target him. And, mm-hmm. you know, then, then he makes another mistake and, and it just it's it's becomes like a self-perpetuating thing. And... Uh, yeah, it worries me, and, and you're right about Dean Henderson. You know, he's, he's had a fantastic season at Sheffield United. He's young, he's hungry, and even you know Sergio Romero sat on the bench, probably thinking, "Well, what do I have to do to get a chance here?" Because he's he's done pretty well when he's come in. So it's a it's a dilemma for Solskjaer, and I don't envy him it at all. We'll just have to see. I mean, hopefully it's a one off because going into lockdown, our defensive. Defensive record had got loads better. I think we had we had like eleven clean sheets or something. Well, I mean, the period after Bruno arrived, I think we conceded like what was it, two goals? Yeah, in total. Wasn't yeah. one of those? We were doing much better. One of those was De Gea Howler as well, wasn't it? Against Everton, I think. Yes, that was the worst of the season. Yeah. That was letting the ball come across him. Yeah. I mean, the th- the easy thing for me when it comes to De Gea and that goal is, does De Gea of two years slash eighteen months ago save that? Of course, and I he think does. he does pretty comfortably. I think. Because yeah. although there was although there was a lot of power, I mean, he he, he's just, he kind of got his body hair behind it. I don't really, I don't understand it. It's, it's like he, I don't know, I don't know what's caused this. Is that just confidence or poor positioning on his part or lack of strength? It's it's bizarre. Well, uh, socially distanced Steve two point across the keeper, great name. Uh, what happened to Dave? Did we break him by making him carry the rest of the team for five seasons? Yeah, simple as that. We did. You know, there's only so long you can perform at that level, constantly bailing your team out, constantly providing incredible saves and remarkable reactions to shots that most other keepers in the world wouldn't have a chance of saving. And eventually it is going to catch up with you. Was it under Van Van Gaal when we had um, the best defensive record, the second best defensive record in the league? Probably like 90% of that was down to him. Because actually our defence was John Bollock. And the number of clear-cut chances that he saved, certain goals that he saved over those years, which just is honestly unbelievable. So yeah, maybe you're right, yeah. maybe it is just all that pressure and just catching up with him and getting to him. Um, I don't know. And then it was all the stuff about the contract and will he, won't he, and I don't know. Well, I think United have given themselves a problem now because Henderson has come on in such leaps and bounds and they've signed De Gea to such a massive contract that it's going to make it very difficult, Huge, even prior yeah. to lockdown and the coronavirus, to actually try and find a buyer. So no one's going to stump up the cash for him at this stage. 
And United have got a problem. And why would they? I mean, at the moment, he, he, you know, he looks kind of... He doesn't look shot. You know, he made, a, he made a fantastic save shortly after we conceded the goal, of course. He very well did, yeah. Brilliant save. And that's, and that's the trouble, isn't it? We, we know. And he's made some fantastic saves all season. So we know he's still got that in his locker. But then every now and then, like momentary lapses of, of, I don't know, concentration or whatever it might be. But, you know, top, really top clubs who... You know, want to win like win big titles, can't afford to be dropping points. Well, look at it this way: you know, Chelsea have had problems with Kepper over the last eighteen months or so, and Lampard's made a big decision. He's benched him. I think Solskjaer, however much he might not want to do it, I, I don't think he's adverse to making the big decisions anyway. But I feel like if De Gea inadvertently pushes him too far then he will make a big call. I'm sure he And will, it won't yeah. be something that De Gea loves. But unfortunately, he's not covering himself with enough glory. If, if there is another incident over the next couple of games, it wouldn't surprise me if Romero starts. Because he's been very supportive so far, hasn't he, of, of De Gea? And, he's, you know, and I think that quite often, you can understand that with a goalkeeper. You're trying to sort of play them back into form. So they make some, a, few, a few really good saves, have a, keep a few clean sheets, and the confidence comes back. He's tried to do that, I think, over the course of the season. And, you know, maybe lockdown really, you know, I mean, it's bad, really bad timing for United, bad timing for De Gea. Yeah, if it happens again in the next sort of couple of weeks, then that won't be good. No, it won't be. I guess moving on through the game as well now, there wasn't necessarily much else to pick out from that first half. You did mention that great save that he managed against Son. There was a couple of strange moments. Eric Lamella went through about six or seven fouls and then Dan James got booked. That was bizarre, wasn't it? Oh, so weird. Yeah. Eric Dyer completely commits a foul right under the linesman's nose. Yeah. And then Dan James gets back and gives him a little kick on the shin. Not even that much. And then he gets booked for it. And Lamella had been, like, charging into ch- tackles. And you know, so you're thinking then, oh, you know, fine, great. The, the ref's going to be, uh, you know, showing a bit of leeway, letting the game flow. But then he, he books Daniel James for a far less. Well, there was a nasty challenge on McTominay after the board already gone. Yeah, that would like what he's all. doing there. No, nah, it was a bit ugly and needless, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I guess moving on from that, yeah. you mentioned the substitutions. It did take a while for Solskjaer to change things up. Yeah, um, I'm not hugely surprised that Pogba didn't start that match. No, Just purely neither. because, I, I think, same with Rashford, they want to make sure they're not running these players into the ground after several yeah. months out. And in the case of Pogba and Rashford, several more months out on top yeah. of the lockdown. So I'm not. I wasn't stunned that he didn't start that match. I think he wanted to rely on the team that had been performing quite well in the months prior to the stoppage of play, and just to see how they could cope with the situation. And there's also probably an element from Solskjaer's thinking of well, there's been so much speculation surrounding him, and we know that he wants to go. We know he now can't go anywhere because no one's going to stump up the money. So yeah. if he wants to, he needs to earn his place back. Yeah, and I can. I can... I understand that. Yeah, absolutely. The problem for Solskjaer is is that he proved he's, he's worthy of a start within yeah. the first five minutes of being back on the pitch. Absolutely. It, it was it was pretty sensational, I thought, Pogba, when he came on. And I was surprised that Solskjaer didn't make any changes at half-time. And not necessarily Pogba. I would I would have I was hoping he was going to um, take Daniel James off and put Mason Greenwood out wide. And I thought mm. Greenwood played really well as well. But yeah, Pogba, I mean, you know, we all know Pogba's just different classes, isn't he? You know, with him, and you always wonder whether you know when you've got two players like Fernandez and um, and Pogba in one team, it doesn't always work. But there were a few little signs last night that they could dovetail really well together. So encouraging, I thought. Well, I think it's with the two of them, 
it's going to be about making sure that they're not in each other's zones. Yeah. And they're moving and there's plenty of movement in and around them. And that's something that United frequently in the last few years have not been great at. Mm. Now we're starting to get a few more players with somewhat, you know, improving levels of technical expertise slash movement. And we're starting to get a little bit more pace back into the side. Yeah. So maybe it will work, work a little bit better. And I didn't see anything in that half hour to suggest that Pogba and Fernandez can't play together no, because I think they're both quality players and they will find a way to make it happen. I think it might mean sacrificing a little bit more in terms of playing a front two as opposed to a front three. But mm. by that same token, I think we can probably make it work. And if it gives us goals and it provides great play, then fine, <laughs> yeah, who cares? Absolutely. I mean, I, I just, I, I know obviously like, Pogba's got so many detractors and I don't think all of it's fair the criticism that he gets. Some of it, yeah, fine, oh, I no, understand. No. But I, mean, I, I really do love the guy as a footballer. I love to watch him play when he's, you know, when he's on, in form and his head's in the right place. He's an absolute joy to watch. So if he could thrive at United. And I mean, there's every chance that he, he will do now because, like you say, I mean, who's, who can afford to buy him now? And who, who wants him? I'm, I'm not sure anyone's, like, knocking down the door, are they, really, at the moment? You know, hopefully... You know, he'll think, right, okay, well, I'm going to stay here. The team, like you say, seems to be going places a little bit. There's certainly a lot more pace, technical players, like you say. You know, let's give this another go. He's obviously annoyed that he was kind of sold a a bit of a lie, really, um, when he was bought by Mourinho. He's had all those problems with Mourinho. And now, hopefully, this is slightly, you know, like a new era and a new new start for him. It'd be great to see him thrive and flourish. It really would be. I'd love it so much. He's just such... It's just the power and elegance that he has on the ball. I mean, when he's feeling it, when he... Even to come on after the best part of this entire season yeah, out. absolutely. To slot back into the side and, that pass, and that, provide that, pass that a, much. That, there was a pass... Oh, my, God, I'm lost, like, speechless. It was, the swaz, Paul. The uh, swaz. And that's the thing, you know, when, when a player can do that and look so effortless as well, why wouldn't you want him to, to do well? And, you know... Yeah, he's had his, his ups and downs, and, and that, but that's fine. You know, he's a human being as well, and apparently, you know, by all accounts, his teammates absolutely adore him. He's a complete mm. professional behind the scenes, and all these stories about this, that, and the other, and his behaviour, and it can be a pain in the arse, I'm sure, to manage. But as a teammate, apparently, he's you know, he's, he's fantastic to have around. So let's just give him a go. <laughs> let's give him another chance. Let's yeah, see what happens. Not? Well, I've got nothing left to lose at this stage. Yeah. I mean, thinking of that game in totality as well, I think one of the more heartening aspects of that performance was United had been in that position trying to break down teams of lesser quality than Spurs, you know, lower down the league. And good God, we struggled. Mm. I mean, obviously it helps that we have everyone fit again. We have Pogba available yeah. and we've got Bruno. So there's obviously options for United to try and create a couple more openings try things and move things around a little bit but at least United didn't get stuck trying to do the same things over and over again you know there was an adjustment period after the first sort of five or ten minutes from Spurs they did start flooding the midfield and it pushed Bruno and Pogba out wide it did mean that we had to change things up a little bit but United responded to that they adapted to it and it is just small flashes like that that make me think there's a little bit more substance to this than I was initially willing to admit. And it's nice to see those moments there. Obviously, we still need more. Yeah. And whilst I'm still a big fan of both Fred and McTominay, I do think in particular that midfield two was shown up in quite some way last night. You know, I don't think they really had any control over the game and they were bypassed way too easily. And 
their passing ability just wasn't up to stuff yesterday. You know, and I think in general there's a limitation to how far the two of those guys can take us. So it wouldn't shock me if we're looking at different midfielders, especially when you think about the fact that the Manny Matic has probably got one, two years tops left at the top level. Yeah. And, you know, he is not an ideal defensive screen, but he gives us some semblance of control in midfield. So it wouldn't shock me if, again, if we spend relatively big in midfield over the next couple of years. We've got more quality and more options in that area of the pitch than we've had for years. We still need more. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, you know, you sometimes, or I sometimes forget that Solskjaer's only bought four players and one of them was basically a bit of a punt in Daniel James. So it's still very much, you know, someone else's squad, really. Obviously with a few young players coming through as well. Um, so I think it's really encouraging. To, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, for, earlier in the season, United go a goal down against anyone. doesn't matter who it is. And I, I remember having ch- you know, talking on the podcast with you and Rich earlier in the season when we, we, and just saying, like, we, when we go a goal, goal down, we can't see a scoring. We can't see a way back because the opposition knows how to play against us. They just sit back. They know we can't break them down. Whereas now we can. And, we, and you know, we did create other chances last night as well. Um, so, yeah, I think there are real signs of encouragement. And I think that's probably why we're so disappointed and frustrated with the result because we know that we've got more about us now. We can go and win these games, particularly yeah. with the players we've got, you know. But again, I, I, you know, just to repeat, you know, <clears throat> as, th- as the time as time goes by, I mean, usually when you've got Rashford and Marcel on the pitch, at least one of them plays really well. I don't think either of them played brilliantly last night. I thought Rashford was fine, but he wasn't his, you know, his electric self, was he? If we can get those two firing, it'll be a completely different story. I mean, Martial was inches away from a fantastic goal in the second half and it was only Larice's incredible reactions oh, that stopped it that was unbelievable Ugh. i mean it really was incredible yeah we, we've got to go talk about the penalty first though because that's that's 100 down to paul pogba magnificence oh so good absolutely selling diet twice yeah and he earned that you know it, it was a clear penalty oh, dyer yeah. had no chance of getting back Barges him down, and a commanding penalty from Bruno. He was just absolutely skinned, wasn't he? He completely skinned him. Dyer just looked like, like I don't know, like this a sort of ag- agricultural machinery or something compared to Pogba. Pogba's a <laughs> Lamborghini, just, you know, just smoothly gliding past him. And he's just like, yeah. you know, like a cartoon almost, double-taking, where the hell's he gone type thing. And before he had time to properly react, he's, put, he's pulled him down and... Yeah, and again with Pogba, it's just so effortless and so beautiful. And the way he moves has always kind of confused me because he doesn't look like he should... He's so graceful. You almost can't... You can't see what he's doing sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, you can't see how he's managed to do these things. He just does them. He's just... He's a sublime football to watch. United haven't got anyone with the level of technique that he has. No. In any area of the pitch in some ways. He's... His dribbling ability is exceptional. You know, when he when even he, he can create space and opportunities yeah. out of nothing. You know, it, it's through the eye of the needle stuff at times, and it it was so great to see him perform like that and prove what we all know he's capable of. And you know, I would one hundred percent expect him to start in that game against Sheffield United. Right, time for a quick break and a chance to mention that this week's episode is brought to you in association with the Pitch Sports app. Set your starting 11s, share your predictions and challenge your friends for the rest of this Premier League season to see who's actually any good at guessing scores. So that's the Pitch Sports app on Google Play and Apple App Store. Before we get on to that, you know, I, I think, again, one of the encouraging aspects of that equaliser was that 
all right, 10 minutes and then five minutes on top of that with uh, stoppage time to go. I felt like we should have gone on to win that. Yes, we came back. Yes, Spurs have had a pretty rubbish season. Yes, they've got Mourinho, which instantly is going to cause issues. <laughs> but that still feels more like two points dropped than one point gained in some way. And I think there's an element in that we are expecting a fair amount of a side that hasn't necessarily delivered a hell of a lot. But at the same time, the expectations are now there. You know, we yeah. think more of Solskjaer's ability. We think more of the ability of this side that he's putting together. We expect more. And yes, this is a side that is challenging for the top four. No, it's not a team that we've typically had great joy at in terms of actually going to visit their stadium over the last decade or so. Mm. But it's a game we probably should have won. And I think that's good for expectation. I think that's good that we are thinking that we can get results there. It could well have happened as well. You know, Mason was inches away. And I'm sorry, as soon as he let fly there, I was thinking, that's a goal. Wasn't it a fantastic shot? It couldn't have been really better played. So that, you know, obviously could have gone in, but it was just such... Like, he had no right to even get that close. It was... And so little backlift, and he is such a fantastic player. Well, he's just stiff and gravy. Like, he's got I think to start games. At, yeah, I mean, I think it helps that he's coming in from the right for a start, so he'll mm. get a little bit of room. He's great at giving himself just a little bit of space in order to create the shot, and he's great when he has plenty of space to attack too. He's, just, you know, he's you look got at, everything, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm not. I don't really want to dig Martial out too much because, again, the service really wasn't there. You no, know, none of our really creative players at the top end of the pitch really had a fantastic game. No. But you know, Mason is an aberration in the sense that he is capable of producing something out of nothing and creating his own chances. You know, he doesn't. He doesn't necessarily need the best service, and you know, you can bemoan Martial's inability to do that all you like. There's not many players in the world that can sometimes do what Mason Greenwood does. No, absolutely. So, You're absolutely yeah. right, and you know. It, as time goes by and, and everyone sort of gets to know him better as a footballer I mean even now opposition defenders must be terrified because whenever he gets the ball anywhere sort of even within range with the penalty area you know he's capable of scoring goals we've seen it numerous times this season you know like you say out of absolutely nothing so it's great to see and we have, we've got we've got quite a few good players now haven't we really yeah I mean I still think you know we'll discuss this in a little while my mindset has not changed in the sense that we are still maybe three four players away from challenging right at the top of the league and Solskjaer's got a lot of issues to sort out until we're able to get to you know, if he's even capable of getting us up to that level yeah you know, you look at the the centre back pairing tonight. I'm still unconvinced that Maguire and Lindelof are going to be the first choice pairing that is going to get us up to the top of the league. I don't. You know, think, I, no, I don't think Lindelof is 100. No way. I mean, the th- thing is, Lindelof can, on his day, be incredibly sharp, uses his body really well, yeah. and can pass quite well. You know, he's probably a, you know, maybe on par with Maguire in terms of actually being able to take the ball out really well out of defence. And then pushes further up the field. But he's always got a mistake in him, hasn't he? Yeah, his lapses in concentration and sometimes his confidence in his own ability to actually take the ball on and control it are proving at times costly. And, mm. you know, Maguire, as great as a leader as he clearly can be on the pitch, you know, he's a good captain. You know, he's got a great physical presence. He's got no pace. Absolutely no pace. You, de- you do need someone in that back line that can do that. Mm. And, you know, I mean, I'm not 100% sure we've got them. I'd be more than happy to give Axel a couple more games going yeah, forward too. in the next couple of years to see how he develops. I still think there's a player in Eric Bailly, despite the fact that he's crazy and is prone to injury. My worry with with uh, Tamanzabi is, is obviously the, his injury record. I mean, he's only young, so that that worries me a little bit. But yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously we'd give him a chance, wouldn't you? Lindelof, 
I don't. I, look, I'm not a Lindelof hater at all. Though some people really can't stand the guy. I think he's a decent defender. I don't think this is a good partnership. Like you say, there's just nowhere near enough pace. They're both prone to sort of lapses in concentration, Maguire and Lindelof, and I just never feel completely confident. Even just the way Lindelof moves and like his facial expressions, it just doesn't inspire confidence. <laughs> I don't like looking at his face. Is a harsh player critique there, Paul? <laughs> he just always looks like you know, like, like he's just woken up on a football pitch and in his kit and you know being asked to play. It's all a bit kind of last minute for me, so... Yeah, I don't know if there's much else to take out of that. I mean, I think it was nice to have Matic back on again, you know, helping to thread things together to a certain extent. Um, yeah. Dan James, as you mentioned there, had a really rough game. You know, I I, I was surprised to see him start that. Yeah. I wasn't expecting Mason to be in there, but I did expect United to go with two up front as opposed to three. And I don't think it really paid dividends. I don't think it came off at all in many ways. For me at the moment, Dan James, he, he just looks like a bit of a... a he looks like a bench player. He looks like a, a, a late sort of, you know, 85th minute substitute, fresh legs against tired legs. I really like him. I think he's got he's got potential, but he's nowhere near the finished article yet. Nowhere near, like not even close. Oh, no, no. And, and actually, he can be doing him more harm than good by sort of... Because I guess there might have been a... I mean, obviously, we've not seen what's been going on in training. Maybe, maybe he's been flying in training. I, I think I thought before lockdown, oh, he's just knackered. Because he'd be playing so much, but on last night's evidence, it was maybe a bit more than that. He's just, I think, he's just lacking that quality at the moment. It might come hopefully in the, over the years. This, there's more to come from, I would hope. I'm just not sure how much more. I think that's the key. You know, United have spent a lot of time talking up their pursuit of Jadon Sancho in the papers, and just to give us some option on the right hand side of the pitch, I hope it happens because we just need more from that side. You know, Wan-Bissaka has done well to improve on his attacking instincts and his abilities this season, but we just need more on that end, on we that do. side of the pitch. We really do. Can you imagine what a difference it would make as well to have a really, like a proper out-and-out winger of really high quality, right winger of really high quality? I mean, because it is a huge gap, really. It has been all season. It's a big gap on that side, and it's very noticeable. So, yeah, it would make a huge difference if we could, if we could get Sancho or someone of his ilk. Well, I wouldn't say no. I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked if United don't target a centre-back and perhaps concentrate on perhaps another midfielder and, and a, a right-sided attacker, just because I think at the minute those should be United's priorities. I think that's what we're all expecting, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about Luke Shaw tonight? Well, sorry, last night, as it were. Um, uh, I, thought, I thought first half he looked very shaky. I think second half he played much better. He got us out of trouble a couple of times in the second half, actually. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because in some way, I mean, he was play- again, he's another one who was he was really playing well and answering quite a lot of his critics, including me, prior to lockdown. He never he never seems to do well after a break, is what I'd say. He didn't do it. You know, he didn't. He wasn't terrible last night at all uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I just think he's he can be. He, he gets targeted quite a lot by opposition managers. And there must be a reason for that. And then you obviously got Brandon, Brandon Williams, who's had a fantastic breakthrough season. I guess he was going for experience last night. I like Williams a lot. Would Williams have, you know, got back when he gave the ball away for the first goal? Who knows? I mean, he's certainly, he's, you know, he's, he's probably quicker than Luke Shaw, isn't he? I don't know. I just think Luke Shaw's yeah. positional sense can be abysmal sometimes. He leaves a lot, and it seems to be deliberate. Like, he, he just leaves a lot of space down in the opposition's right wing. Yeah, I mean, one thing, I, I hate doing this because it, it it's so armchair. Sometimes I will literally 
wave my arm across, wave my hand across the TV and basically say, look, tighten up, tighten up, tighten up. Yeah. And I've got to do that 10 times more with Luke Shaw than yeah. I do with every other player yeah. on the pitch. It's, the it's such space, a... Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel dirty doing it. Don't get me wrong. It's proper <laughs> Yadar territory. I don't love it, but there we go. Um, only other one player to mention, I guess, Marcus Rashford, who, uh, having spent the last couple of weeks putting the whole country to rights, maybe didn't have his best game ever, but still looking like the Marcus we all know and love quick mention as well you know it was incredible to see him and all the other players as well making the taking the knee prior to the game in particular Marcus you know the black power salute incredibly striking and moving and powerful imagery before the game you know and and poignant as well you know it is good to see the Premier League taking this seriously and taking Black Lives Matter seriously Paul a couple words on Marcus please uh a couple of words I mean it's hard to know where to start with the guy it's just is a genuine inspiration. Um, Football-wise, I'll get the football out of the way because, you know, again, like I said, he, he wasn't his brilliant self last night, but, he, you know, he looked good. He, he's, he's, he's just... He's, this is, is his, his season where he's kind of blossomed into the player we all hoped he could be. Um, and I think he can only get better from here. And then in terms of his, his work off the pitch, it's actually, it's actually just staggering. I think it's inspiring. It's outrageous that someone so young can be so kind of articulate. And and the way he went about his campaign, you know, he didn't badmouth the government. He didn't come out, you know, and criticise people. He just very quietly told his own story, told the story of others. And just sort of held his and said, well, we all know this isn't right. And uh, I mean, honestly, I, I'm, I'm kind of speechless with the guy. I think he just con- continues to surprise me all the time. And I'm so proud to sort of call him one of our own, you know, and he's, he, he grew up obviously in Manchester and, and absolute star, it's like a superstar. I thought one of the things that he did exceptionally well was he took the political loyalty out of any of the situations. Yeah, he totally did, you know, didn't he? It, it wasn't about crossing parties or anything like that. It was about a simple moralistic question. Yeah. Should kids have food? Yeah, obviously. Absolutely. And he didn't get angry at any point. You know, he didn't he didn't even when when the government was saying, look, we're not gonna do this, we're not we we're not gonna back down on this. Even at that point, you know, there was that um, unbelievable thread, wasn't there, on Twitter where he was he was talking about, you know, there were some kids getting up who, who can't have a hot shower, who, you know, don't have electricity, this, mm. that and the other, and without once sort of having a go at anyone. Because most people would do that, most people would get angry, and, and he just didn't do that, and I'm so happy for him. He, he would probably say himself, it's not about him, and it's, and it's not about being happy for him, it's about being... I mean, the fact that we're even having this discussion is, is it's kind of scary and disgusting, really, you know, given... We're like the what the fifth largest economy in the world or something, and you know the number of kids going hungry. I mean, it's just an absolute scandal, and it's outrageous for it to be a, a, a 22, 23 year old footballer to bring this to people's attention and get things changed. I mean, it's a, it's a damning indictment, really, isn't it, on our nation? Yeah, I mean, we're a country of turkeys that loves to vote for Christmas, but then gets annoyed when everyone else points that out. Absolutely. I mean. <laughs> We're very weird. We're so weird. We're so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. Right. Um, I guess the only other thing to take out of that game is at least we didn't lose it, right? You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we annoyed Mourinho. And, you know, it, it would have been amazing had Bruno gotten that second penalty, but it was quite rightly chalked off by VAR. He would have was... had such a meltdown, wouldn't he? Oh, it was the right decision. It but was. God, I wanted it. Just in any other circumstance, I would have, you know... 
I would have loved for that to have stood. I mean, I guess now we look forward to Sheffield United. You know, it's yeah. been another interesting couple of days in the league in particular today. You know, Arsenal losing. So they've lost two games on the bounce in the space of three days, having been humped by City on Wednesday night. Doing a great job, Arteta, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Superb. Um... Just settled in so quickly. You know, it's just... <laughs> It's just, you know, the players just really seem to know, you know, it's like telepathy almost. They just seem to know what he wants to, to do, don't they? Oh, uh... uh, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. Uh, Sheffield United, desperately unlucky. One in 6,000 chance, was it, that Hawkeye yeah. uh, couldn't pick up that one goal that was clearly a goal at Villa Park on Wednesday night. They must have been sickened uh, by that, wasn't they? Oh, yeah. That's awful. Bless them. I mean, not bless them, really, because we don't want them to do too well, no. but still. Now, I mean, that, that'll that be our next assignment on Wednesday night at Old Trafford. I mean, United have got to go and win that now. I guess one of the things is with... We do have a slightly easier fixture list than Chelsea and perhaps Sheffield United. but yeah. And yes, we're not going to win every single one of these games. But United's margin for error, because we've had such a... Because the first half of the season was so up and down. We dropped so many points and we put ourselves so far back. Our margin for error is so slight now. Mm. We can't afford to be dropping more points, especially against a team that we're competing against. United have just got to go out and win that game. And if it means starting Pogba and Greenwood and Solskjaer might not want to do that, he's not really got much choice. We looked so much better with them in the lineup than without them. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's so obvious, isn't it? Like we looked so much better that to to not to not start with those players would kind of be like self sabotage. I guess there's also the the sort of hangover from last season where we had so many chances to get into the top four and we blew every single one of them. You know, you obviously you're hoping that this season they'll learn from that. I think it's really important. We don't want to be in the Europa League again. I mean, the Europa League's the Europa League. You know, it's it's not probably not as bad a competition as a lot of people make out, but. We need to be, you know, Manchester United needs to be in the Champions League. And, and it was a bitty performance um, against Spurs. And now you're looking for a bit of a reaction. And at home, I know obviously with no fans there, but at home at Old Trafford. And Sheffield United, I mean, they, they tore us apart, didn't they, in, um, at their place um, in the first half. If you remember, that was a pretty torrid experience. So, we need, you know, we need to, we need to show them kind of, look, we, we mean business here. I think if, if he starts with Pogba... Fernandes, Rashford, Greenwood. I think we'll have too much for them, personally. Oh, fingers crossed. Hey, we got questions tonight, Paul. Shall we jump into them? Let's do it. Cool. Tariq Amir, how did you feel going into the last 20 minutes of the match? Uh, Jose Mourinho's side looking to protect a 1-0 lead feels not as secure as it used to be. So there was always the chance of United creating at least a scoring opportunity. It didn't feel quite as dire as it perhaps would have done in previous months of this season, I would say. You know, I still felt like, despite the fact that Spurs were sitting so far back and basically created nothing in that second half. It always felt like there was a chance, you know? Yeah, it did. I absolutely completely agree. When we did get the equaliser, I genuinely thought, right, well, that's it, we're going to win this because we've been a better team. Spurs have done nothing, like you say, for, what, half an hour or whatever in that second half. And I really thought we'd go on to win it. So, yeah, I wasn't, like, I, I wasn't overly concerned. Uh, you know, when we go 1-0 down these days, I, I don't get overly concerned. I always think there's a bit, there's enough time um, and we've got enough talent to uh to get back into the game so uh he also asks can you imagine what roy Keane's animal crossing island would look like now that's probably one more for me than for you but <laughs> do you remember the uh pepsi advert with rooney wearing that uh, vest and the massive beard 
in the trailer park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is basically what I imagine Roy Keane's island to look like. <laughs> now, speaking of Roy Keane as well, yeah. that rant yesterday, I mean, it's very easy to say that he's turned into a complete caricature of himself, but good God, man, save some ball for the rest of the season. He's only just come back and he's gone up to 100% straight away. Yeah, it's, it's like it's been building, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it, the fact that you're struggling for words. Yeah, I just yeah. think, uh, you know, yeah, I, I think that the, 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 the thing is, like, you need to tone it down a little bit. Otherwise, when, when things are really bad, it's like the boy who cried wolf, isn't it? You know, everyone's just going to be like, ah, it's just Roy Keane again. And it's a shame, really, because I think he's actually a really good pundit when he's sort of... Uh, not when? playing up to the, the gallery kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I've I've long divorced Roy Keane, the Manchester United player, from everything that came after his <laughs> acrimonious exit from the club because pretty much every everything since that point has been either unwholesome or needlessly combative. So, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm kind of done with him. Ian McComb here. Uh, all this talk about Henderson or De Gea. What about Romero? He already puts a foot wrong and he's very consistent except for that one mistake against Bruges, is the problem that there's not enough pressure on De Gea for his position. I do think that's, that probably is a problem. I think there has to be competition for places all over the pitch, and we're starting to see a bit more competition for places in the, in the outfield, but certainly De Gea for years now, you know, it's a pretty comfortable little existence, isn't it? You know, it just there's absolutely no fear for him that he's going to get replaced. I think it's probably more to it than that. It's not just that, but I think that probably is, like, it does play a part. Romero's one real run in the side in the entirety of his uh, close to five years at Old Trafford was in the summer of 2015, not long after he'd arrived, and the De Gea contract saga was yeah, rumbling on. Girl. He was not very good at all. No. <laughs> some terrible mistakes against Swansea City away, some absolute howlers. And as soon as De Gea came back in, you know, it was pretty straightforward. Yeah. When Romero has come into the side in the Europa League games, there's a bit less pressure on him. I think he is a very capable and able number two. And th- we're very lucky yeah. to have a number two of that calibre. Definitely. But I think it's a big step to suggest that he could provide consistency at this stage. because. I agree with you we've just never seen that before. If he was that good, he would have been pressurising De Gea in some of these key moments, but Solskjaer's decided to stick with De Gea for a reason. You know, the standard standard of the games that he's actually playing in just aren't as good. It's as simple as that. So, yeah, couldn't agree more. At that James boy, I felt yesterday, Oli fixed one of his bigger flaws of in-game management. I mean, I think in terms of in-game management, Solskjaer still waited a little bit longer than he could. I mean, most managers wait until the hour mark even if things aren't working straight away and it's yeah they weren't working well but it wasn't quite so abysmal we weren't two or three nil down there was still perhaps an element of suggesting we could get back into the game with what we had out there if we got a little bit lucky and got a good shot on target Mm. so it it was nice and i guess you know in terms of in-game management it is nice to see him making these changes but at the same time he's got more options at his disposal now so he can afford to change things up switch Mm. the formation around you know drop mctominay back into center back push match up make sure pogba and bruno have got space and provide us with some alternatives so the better plays he gets at his disposal the more money we spend the better his in-game management's going to be because he's got more options at his disposal. Yeah, definitely. And, and I agree with you. I think he should have done it sooner. And I've, I've always wondered about this um, hour mark thing with managers. Like, what is it about the 60-minute mark where they just think, right, it's definitely not going to work now. And, like, it can so often seem really clear from like, the half-hour mark that it's not working. It's a nice round number. Is that all it is? It's just yeah. a nice round number. What's it, but isn't yeah. is 50 not a nice round number or...? 
No, it's not quite right because it's not quite an hour, is it? It's not quite definitive enough. Oh, so, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a weird fascination. I'm not quite sure I fully get it. <laughs> anyway, at Red Cairn, do we need to spend money on a centre-back this window? Um, check back on us in about two months' time or so after we've gone through the Europa League campaign and we'll let you know. I am not concerned, but... It's certainly a thought on my mind at this point. Put it that way, Paul. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's, it's I'm slightly concerned because obviously Eric Bay and Twanzi be both seem pretty injury prone. So that's a really big concern of mine. And we like I said earlier, we, you know, we like those two. Uh, not convinced with Lindelof. I'm not sure it's would be you know if if we can only buy say two players. I'm not sure a centre back would be one of them for me at this stage. I don't know really, because I, I, I mean, how many really top centre backs are there out there at the moment? I'm, I'm the genuine question. I really don't know who, who we, you know, who we could buy. I think it depends on how much United have genuinely put into the transfer kitty. Yeah, this year because I think even for a club that, let me put it this way, I think. Even United are aware of the optics of spending upwards of 100 million, 150 million pounds at this exact moment in time in terms of the current global climate. It's a bit obscene almost, isn't it, really? Yeah, it, it's not a great look. It's more about the societal sort of optic of it. You know, how does it look it for a club of this size to be spending hundreds of millions yeah. of pounds on player transfers? when we've lost tens of thousands of people to COVID-19 in Great Britain. You know, it it just, it doesn't send the greatest message. So I would be surprised if United go on a massive splurge this summer with that in mind. Plus, I don't don't think we're going to anyway, really. No, I mean, that suffering Saffer's got an interesting question that leads on from that, which is, do we need both Van der Beek and Jack Grealish, seeing as the combination of McTominay and Fred don't really know how to move into positions to receive the ball under pressure? Something we've talked about earlier on. They seemed lost when trying to get away from Spurs forwards that closed off the passing lanes to them. Yeah, they did. I mean, there is a level of technical expertise that I think Fred potentially has in his locker that can be improved and he can do better, but I'm not sure McTominay has. For his qualities, which are clearly, you know, running around incredibly well, closing players down, winning the ball back and getting us moving again quite quickly and providing a bit of a goal threat. You know, McTominay's got, what, five goals this Mm. season? You know, he's not rubbish in front of goal fair play to him. He has a great shot on him when he gets the opportunity. But in terms of technique you know a bit of nous in terms of finding the right pass and getting us moving again and picking out the right player i'm not quite sure that's there we either go for one of graylish or van der beek there's no way we're going to go for both you know and i think that if you're looking at the what 50 million pounds or so maybe even 60 depending on what villa do this season to get jack graylish out of villa park you know united aren't going to be playing with much more and at that stage you do wonder if sancho will even come you know we're talking generalizations and predictions on a transfer window and we have no idea what united are going to do or what anyone else will do so you know it's a, it's a tricky one to judge isn't it yeah the whole market's complete again you know, like the, the rest of the season <clears throat> the uh, transfer market who knows what it's going to be like over the summer in terms of McTominay, I mean, I, I really like McTominay. I think his passing uh, has improved this season. I think he didn't have one of his best games last night. I don't think Fred did either. I know what you mean. I can I completely understand why people feel that he, he's not the standard that United need. But I, I'm not. I think he probably is. I think he's Fergie was the master of it, wasn't he? Where he'd, he'd have sort of you know six, seven, eight world class players, and then a few sort of less talented, less sort of naturally gifted players dotted around as well in the team. I think McTominay could be one of those players. Out of Grealish and Van der Beek, 
I mean, I really, really like Grealish. I have done since I saw him at Old Trafford earlier this season. I just thought, wow, this guy's got something about him. So I'd love to see him come to United. But yeah, I don't know how much we're going to spend this season, uh, this summer. It could look kind of obscene and, and too much if we go out and sort of have a massive splurge. And it could almost look like we're taking advantage of the situation as well if we did that. So I can't see us doing it. Um, I mean, I guess the only thing to carry on with now, Paul, is what do we think for Wednesday? Have a quick thought on that. What, what's your prediction? Uh, I'm, I'm going to say 2-1 to United. Okay, interesting. Why? Because I have absolutely no idea what to expect. <laughs> it just seems like a... They play Newcastle tomorrow at St. Yeah. James's Park. So I guess we'll get a better idea of what sort of state they're in. Obviously, yeah. the first game back, the very first game back on Wednesday early evening, it was always going to be, you know, obviously the, the, the eyes of the world are on them and it it was a tricky game for them to manage. You know, Villa yeah. are obviously playing for their lives at that stage, but it was a, a disjointed performance at best. Yeah. So I would expect better from them by the time Wednesday night rolls around. Yeah, I've always felt like, um, even before lockdown, I've, I sort of felt Sheffield United, they can't possibly go on like this. But now they've, they've had a rest, that might really work in their favour. Or, or again, one of those teams who sort of lose that momentum they had prior to lockdown, it could really be a disaster for them. I, I, I think it'll be a tough game. I mean, they're very well organised, very well coached. Um, they've got some good players. But yet again, you know, if, if Solskjaer starts with, you know, really, real attacking intent, we should beat them, really. Mm. I can't see us not conceding because I just think we look so flaky in, in defence. Yep, fair enough. Right, Paul. Well, I mean, it's nice to have everything back again. And yeah. I guess we'll reconvene after Norwich next weekend, yeah? Absolutely. I look forward to it, mate. And that'll do it for this week. Thanks, as always, for listening, everyone. Pleasure to be back with uh, proper football to talk about. And thanks for sticking with us during lockdown. If you get a minute, a quick rating and review on iTunes for the podcast would be hugely helpful and appreciated to help boost the old profile. And again, just a quick reminder to download the Pitch Sports app on Apple App and Google Play stores. You can also follow Paul and I on Twitter at PaulGunning1 and at Ewan Lennart. You can find the pod at Red Voices MUFC. And you can find the pod itself on Stitcher, SoundCloud, the Apple podcast app and spotify itself so have yourselves a superb week we'll most likely be back after norwich next week and take care of yourselves bye